0: Welcome to the Indisposable Podcast, produced by Upstream. I'm your host, Brooking Gatewood. And I'm your co host, Matt Prindeville. Thanks for joining for another episode celebrating solutions to plastic pollution. Welcome back, everybody. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with one of the reuse movement's boldest innovators, Anukampa. Freedom Gupta-Faner, a longtime environmentalist, trained journalist, and designer, Reusee's 2021 finalist for Activist of the Year, and member of the National Reuse Network, Freedom sees waste as an error of design and one of the world's most urgent problems to solve. For her, the fundamental building blocks of new world businesses are design and redesign, and her work with Design by Freedom, an invention company propelling the circular economy, aims to make trash history by redesigning linear systems, disposable products, and single-use packaging into highly functional reusables. These days, her attention is fully devoted to designing a new way of getting groceries without all the waste. Her DC-based reuse grocery system will be launching this year as spring. Today, we'll talk about the learning journey and design challenges of changing one of the most fundamental parts of American society, how we get our food. Freedom, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much, Brooking. A big hello to you and everyone who's gonna tune in. It's a pleasure to connect, deliberate, and engage. So excited to be here.
0: Awesome. So this episode is coming out at the tail end of Women's History Month. And as part of this celebration, I recently got to put together a vlog for upstream highlighting some of the many visionary women leaders in the reuse movement that we've gotten to interview on this show. And What struck me in this process is, first of all, that this movement is truly fueled by women and we would be in a lot of trouble without women's leadership when it comes to this issue of waste. So a huge thank you to all the women entrepreneurs and activists and uh, thought leaders that are helping propel this movement and to you, Freedom, for being one of those women and joining us here today on the show to tell us a little bit about your story.
1: Absolutely, Brooke. absolutely. I'm just excited to be here. And uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. So before we talk about groceries, um, you have a, a really unusual to an American audience, at least background when it comes to being a woman doing this work. And my understanding is you grew up in India and you were the first woman born into your family in many generations. So tell us a little bit, if you will, about your unusual upbringing and how you found your way into protecting the natural world.
1: Absolutely. Yes. So I was the first girl child, the first female to be born um, in my father's family in over four decades. And um, you you have to understand this uh, from the lens of what has been a deeply patriarchal society and a society in which the status of the girl child is just considered to be lower than that of the male child for, for example. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, here I came along and, uh, my, my parents, uh, just welcomed me with with open arms. I'm just deeply, deeply grateful for the opportunities and the platform they they gave to me in this context. And um, my parents with a very humble background, they've done everything humanly possible to ensure that I am standing on the shoulders of giants. And uh, it's it's a big deal. Um, and and I I feel like I've broken the mold in in more ways than one, and I'm just grateful for the opportunity to to be here, to be alive, to be in this world, and 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 to just be the daughter of my parents, who you know, who've always always thought forward and and had the foresight for for what this world should truly look like.
0: Mm. Yeah, so it sounds like they were kind of path breaking with the way they raised you in a culture that wasn't really ready for uh welcoming women in the way that you were welcomed just at that time at least
1: absolutely i mean i i grew up with um all, all my cousins uh, who you know who are who happen to be men and you know you're you're just um uh, you're just learning to, to, to be, it, it's, it's not that you're a woman who's trying to be, you, you just, you just are. And, uh, you know, you, you, you get dirty with them, you play with them, you learn from them and you just learn how to survive in this truly men's world, right? That's, that's what it is. That's what so much of entrepreneurship is about. And, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, we've got to break free and, uh, we got to do more, um, the girl child is not to be walked upon, and it, this is a. These are beautiful pieces of life. We've, we've got to treasure, treasure women. Like a, a world without women is is no world at all.
0: Yeah, yeah, it really was um, truly an inspiring process for me, just reflecting on all the different women leaders in this particular movement, and just really was so struck with, wow, we would not be. Making the changes we're making uh, around getting rid of waste if it weren't for all these powerful women leaders. And, you know, one of the other things I noticed in reflecting on, I often like to ask people about their sort of early drivers and motivations for this work. And and one of the themes was that many um, of the women leaders in this space were uh, driven by their love of the natural world and recognizing that the waste problem is creating destruction for the natural world and you know a lot of people in their everyday lives they don't put something in the trash can and think about how that affects wildlife for example but in your story I understand that that was actually where you started was protecting wildlife and then it eventually brought you to the US so tell us a little bit about how those pieces of wildlife protection and working on waste issues, how those dots got connected in your story?
1: absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, you have to understand i I grew up uh, I grew up in a community in a part of the world where, even as a five year old, like spotting a single tree, to me, that was a sight to behold. Um, growing up in New delhi uh, was an experience that was just dense and crowded and loud and polluted, right? Like wildlife sightings here are limited to pigeons and, and cows and maybe some eagles. And, um, as, as yearning to be close to earth and, uh, my parents, again, they made every possible effort they could to take me to the nearest available parks and scant as they were. Um, again, this is one of the most polluted cities in the whole wide world. And, um, I I came across one day randomly watching the Discovery Channel. I came across Steve Irwin and a um, Croc Hunter, right? Absolutely, yeah. crazy, right. And um, and he fired my imagination. I mean, I, I know you can question um, from a research method- methodical point of view. You can question his ways of being and how he treats animals or treated animals and all of that stuff, but understand for a five-year-old who gets excited when she sees a tree here Mm -hmm. i'm watching steve orvin i'm like man, this is the life. I I want to figure, I want to figure this out. How does this guy do it? Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I, I just, I was so drawn um, to the natural world and, um, really like he's, he's been a, he's been this little, um, voice in my ear with his, with all of his crazies over the, you know, over the decades. Um, my journey has been uh, more circuitous. I, I, I wish it was a straight line. I, I just don't think life works like that. So, it's a circuitous journey to really understand how my love and passion for Mother Earth um, can be expressed in, in a more worldly form of a career, um, if I can put it that way. So, um, that's how it started out. I founded my first organization as an undergraduate student at the University of Delhi. It was an environmental action society uh, that is still active uh, 11 or 12 years later. It continues to galvanize uh, students and, and the administration and and the community. And um, at this point in time, uh, Brookings, I was... I was also working um, on the front lines to to stop wildlife smuggling. I was working as an activist to promote reforestation and water conservation. I mean, this was about survival. Uh, My life, my my mom's life in, in Delhi, our life was centered around the water tap. Right. Like, like you open the tap. It's, it's not that water is flowing. There's a certain allocated hour in the day. If the municipal corporation is feeling good, that is, it's going to be consistent, but it changes. So you've got to wait for the water to be flown into the taps and you fill every possible vessel and utensil you can and that's your water for the day, and this, this is what you cook with. This is what you clean with. Uh, homes have big water tanks at, the, at their roofs on their ceilings because that's that's just the reality of of living in a different part of the world. So I was inspired. It was about survival. It was about understanding how to be resourceful and. All of these experiences just kept pushing me closer and closer to environmental action, to learning environmental issues. Um, I was also at the time training to be a journalist. So researching and studying the city's environmental code and public health issues, like that was not geeky at all. That's what you did as a journalism student, right? But in all of this, just time and time again, um, it felt like I was not even a mere drop in the ocean. Like, the efforts that went into this, um, it, it just kept falling short. It's like a bigger power, a deep underlying system. An originator of things is at play. And um, and today, tonight, you can protect, like, 500 sea turtles that were being smuggled across border. Tomorrow, the same people are back again doing the same thing. Like, what the hell is going on here? And and it it created such a deep sense of disillusionment for me that um, I I knew I needed to learn more. I wanted to study public policy. I wanted to study social change organizations. And uh, I came to America as a student uh, of public policy. I specialized in managing nonprofits and and social change businesses. And um, boy, my time in graduate school was instructive. And that's, that's where uh, the second part of the story begins. But um,
0: mm. let me pause there. And, and Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the, the sort of arc of the story. And I, I think so many of our listeners can relate is that feeling so small in the face of what is a systemic problem. And you can't, I know even in the break free movement, we use this metaphor of turning off the tap, right? Because unless we turn off the tap, we can't, you know, shovel all the water out of the, (laughs) out of the bathtub, if you will. Um, And so, yeah, it sounds like your journey of trying to understand what's the, where can you put your energy to, to affect the most systemic or holistic change. And then here you are in America and you're working on redesigning waste systems. So uh, let's pick up the story there.
1: Sure. So, um, you know, here I am in graduate school and, uh, man, the environment around the campus is awesome. Yay. Trees. I see an old growth tree like every 10 feet. And mm-hmm. I'm like, this is awesome. Like that was truly my first nature immersive experience. And, um, just, experiencing urban wildlife and things we take for granted, uh, clean air, water security, just an atmosphere. Yeah, water
0: 24 hours a day, right? Yeah, right,
1: right, right. Yeah. Water security is simply just an atmosphere where, you know, you, you can blossom and, and just think about stuff in, in a way that you cannot when you're just surrounded by a, like a dense clog of smog, like literally, right? So, mm-hmm. graduate school was a was a big deal for me. It was it, it was an instructive experience, and um, it was around this time that I was witnessing something that honestly I had never witnessed before, right? Like the excess of food waste and trash. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, again, I'm I'm telling you from where I came from. Like, think of how resources are how scarce they are. And and here I am in in a different part of the world. And um, people, unfortunately, around me, just, it was not even a thing. Like, there wasn't any consciousness around what am I throwing away? Like, this is is not a waste. This is a resource. And um, I have to say, there's a truism to this that our grandparents were the first zero wasters and um my time in graduate school like I explored um the depths of my being uh, in, in a pretty deep way I, I learned uh, I learned things that i had never learned and I really got into design like mm. packaging design waste as an era of design and uh, a year after graduate school like my husband, Clifford, uh, my, my partner in crime and uh, and life, we, we started Design by Freedom together. And um, it's just evident to me, you want to solve a systemic problem, you want to solve a deep problem, you've got to solve the packaging issue, right? The mm-hmm. future needs a clean transition to reuse, refill, and return. And um, by the way, uh, packaging is systemic. It is as systemic as it gets. And uh, here's how I want you to think about it, right? This this goddamn wrapper is not just a wrapper. Mm-hmm. It's a symbol of everything wrong that happened with the supply chain before this wrapper reached my hands. Um, if you care about soil, air, water, wildlife, protecting habitats, you care about packaging because each of these things is fundamentally destroyed in the making of single-use packaging. Mm. And for me, if we can really build systems to solve the packaging problem, we're, we're working to clean air, we're working to clean water, we're working to clean soil, uh, we're protecting habitats, we're doing all of those things. So uh, it, as an extension to this, this is one of my personal values, compassion i believe reuse is one of the highest forms of compassion because Mm. when you think about reuse when you make the choice to reuse man you just prevented all this pain and suffering from happening in the world like Mm, i love that reuse
0: compassion
1: yeah right and this consciousness that there is a world beyond my package like what happened in the making of this right like it's it's just kindness and love at its core. So that's how strongly and deeply I feel about reuse. So that's, mm. that's the second part of the story. Bukin.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I understand that, um, in terms of the journey to the grocery, uh, design challenge in particular it started with you and your husband trying to go zero waste in your own lives and finding it especially tricky when it came to the grocery store so tell us a little bit about how how this particular innovation project started
1: yeah yeah so i mean this is this is simple right part of this is just simple um if you want to be a great designer you you've got to be a subject of your own experiments, and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that that's the story here. We are relentless, sometimes just incredibly harsh subjects of our own experiments in our own home, and that's how this happens. Um, so back in back in the day, especially after graduate school, uh, you know, uh, we wanted to travel, and uh, while we were traveling, we 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 decided we were going to travel in our small motorhome. And um, the challenge at the time was how to eliminate one piece of waste from our lives very consistently and very iteratively and super methodically in a way that we just don't need to depend on that type of product at all, right? So that's really how our journey began. And we very quickly learned that it's almost impossible to buy groceries without an insane amount of packaging. And this includes our travels to 47 different states, to Puerto Rico, to a large uh, swatch of Canada. And what I learned blew my mind, right? Like, this is the ultimate irony of living in America. Um, choice is a myth. There are 44,000 grocery stores in this country, and you still cannot buy your groceries for your home without single-use packaging. And um, yeah, something had to be done about it. And um, over over a period of iterative processes and, and cycles, uh, spring, spring is here.
0: Yeah. So one of the things that, um, I, you know, we had our prep conversation that really stood out to me was that you said that you talked to other people about this idea and trying to do the zero waste groceries. And one of the things that a lot of people said to you was it's too hard. I can't do it. But if you bring it to me, I'm I'm in, I want to do it. But the, as you discovered in your own process, trying to be an individual actor, you know, swimming upstream, if you will, in this system, just that makes it so hard for you to just buy groceries without all the waste um, is really difficult. So that there's this huge portion of the population that would love to do the right thing in this way, but isn't willing to to go to the extremes that many people have to go to at this point to be able to do something as simple as bring home groceries without bags that have to go in the trash right away. So I know that your system is working across the whole, you know, farm to table, if you will, of the grocery um, experience. So let, let's let dive in. Tell us how it works and, you know, where you're at in the process. I'm sure there's been challenges along the way, as always happens with these kinds of innovation projects. And um, start to paint the picture for us of what, what spring will be when it comes out.
1: Absolutely. Um, and... A little bit of uh, background here is helpful. So um, while we were doing all of this in our own home, uh, first our home on wheels, which was entirely free of waste, um, and then um, a, a home that is not on wheels, which is also free of waste, um, especially because of you know groceries and and if you think about it, kitchens are like the black holes in in homes for creating waste, right? So if you can tackle that, um, you can. Really tackle like seventy five to eighty percent of a home's waste, right? So th- there's a there's a little bit of deeper context in here, um, wherein when when we really truly started out with design by freedom, the focus was the coffee industry, and um, the biggest lesson um, in working in the coffee industry, working on supply chains, working on front facing customer-facing elements of reuse, working behind the scenes with the baristas and, and managers and all that stuff, the biggest lesson was you just can't sprinkle reusables or reusability or circularity on linear supply chains. I mean, it just doesn't work like that. Mm. Reuse is not a byproduct of a broken system. It is a system in and of itself. And that's how Spring came to life in like full force. It's about farm-to-table supply chains, um, which are fully vertically integrated in a way that reusability is not a feature. It is the product. It is the entire way the entire circular system works.
0: uh, right, like our art our- that's such an important point. and for people who don't know some of that terminology, maybe we can slow that down. So you know that the re- idea that reusability is not a feature. it's the actual product, as you said or or sometimes it, it's it's a service as opposed to a product in a way, right? Where mm-hmm. the people are paying for their food, but also the opportunity to get the service of the ex- whole experience of their food being brought to them in then the packaging being taken away and that closed loop system, like the milkman is one example that everybody's familiar with. Um, yeah. And so tell us an example. I think we talked about strawberries, for example, right? Or when people get produce and you're working with the farmers to um, actually have them using stainless steel um, rather than cardboard or plastic packaging to put the strawberries or whatever the vegetables are. And so you're working with every—that's what you mean by vertical integration, right? Where you're working across every part of the delivery system.
1: Absolutely, broken. Absolutely. Um, so it's literally working with the farmer. It's working with the producer, the maker, um, and they pack things at source in reusables that we have designed for them, and that's how these products reach members of spring and members of spring use these products and they, they return the reusables. And, um, an example here is the strawberries and the blueberries. Uh, I mean, I love strawberries and blueberries and, you know, I can't buy that product in a different grocery store because it comes in the worst goddamn packaging that exists on the face of this earth, Like, awful user experience since we are talking design like um
0: yeah used to come in just these simple cardboard things but now you have to buy it in those plastic clamshells most of the time right
1: right and they're so pokey if you think paper cut is bad like wait till one of those things poke you (laughs) right like just we're we're not thinking about customer experience in, in deep ways, at, at least when it comes to linear supply chains. So a, a part of our job here with Spring is really nail what reusability, what reusable design, what that looks like when a customer experiences uh, a reusable product like this. So they'll get their strawberries and, and blueberries in, in reusable stainless steel clamshells that are returned back. And by the way, the, the the products are, their lifetime is a lifetime. I mean, I'll, I'll give give you an example of, again, my Indian roots. Um, the silverware, the the kind of quality of products in my mom's kitchen. Um, Brooklyn. they were there when I was a little baby. And they're still there right now. I'm 33 years old. I mean, think of the the durability, the quality of reusables that we have a, the opportunity to really bring to life, like build a system that thrives on just using, reusing, using, reusing again and again and again, thousands and thousands and thousands of times, right? So um, yeah, strawberries are a, are an example. Um, another example, one of my favorite examples is a flower, right, wheat flower or, or any other flower. You 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 want to use flour and you you get this bag from the grocery store. First of all, no matter how organic, no matter how gluten free, it's coming to you in the exact same package. So, right, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And even this package, like. C- the user experience is terrible. I mean, how many times have you had to look around for a spoon or some other type of utensil to clean out the crumbs of this flour from the bottom of the bag and something or the other is stuck in some other crevice in this poorly designed bag? It's all of these are just issues of design and Everyday products are so profoundly badly designed that, <laughs> right? Like we're like we want to make this a truly functional and joyful experience for members of Spring, and um, that includes really thinking about the way we think about reusables. I have a little analogy for you there in just a moment. That that includes working with sourcing partners. That includes a system where we are never driving empty vehicles on the road because when we're picking things up, when we're collecting reusables back, there's a system around this, a system that that's in, an internal system to us called community delivery days. And we're, we're not just going to like one home and, and that's about it. Like an entire community is getting their deliveries through this. And um, you, you're just... You're just operating an entirely different machinery. Like that's the simplest way of putting it. And and my uh, analogy around re- the design of reusables is um, if we truly want to move to circularity, we've got to start thinking about reusables, uh, not like a personal vehicle. We've got to start thinking thinking about them like a mass transit operation. So this is a reusable with a lifespan of like in 10, 12 years, it can take a beating. You think entirely differently about the about the inks or the paints that go on it or the
0: You're designing a subway car rather than a, a personal car.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's interesting. Right. That's the that's the level of thinking that is needed here. Like replacing single use with the flimsiest thing on the market, not building the uh, we, we, you know, we're building the tech stack for it. We're building the packaging stack for it. We're literally building the entire system stack for this to happen. And um, essentially, you're transforming the entire food system when you when you start working like this. So,
0: yeah, I'm curious. Um as you're describing it, I'm starting to see in my head is it's a complex piece of design work that you're doing because you are working with so many different kinds of partners. And not only are you trying to um, design the containers and work with the farmers and other producers to, um, to create those partnerships. And then you're also working with the challenge of getting things to people's doorsteps in a way that's not wasteful. As you were mentioning, you don't want empty vehicles and I'm curious, I assume you're designing this to operate at a local scale first, like local farms, like at a city level, communities doing this together. Um, and that spring, is is it going to be city-based? Or are you imagining that eventually we could have a larger national level interconnected system? Like, What is your vision for the, the scaling part of this, if you will?
1: We're building train tracks. That's what we're doing. And these train tracks are the physical infrastructure on which the system of food, the future system of food, stands on. Once you have a train track, you can go in a local community, you can go in a city. it's an interconnected system. I mean, our thesis is, is simple, right? Delivery is hyperlocal. Delivery is always hyperlocal. And therefore, supply chains should be local too. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're doing great logistics without the great footprint and with a tech stack that can deliver on this. Um, The best part? People want it. Uh, Rack rage is real. It's demonstrated how frustrating
0: packaging is. And Did you just say rapper rage? I said rapper rage. Yes, it's. Oh, that's funny. I've never heard that term. That's great.
1: (laughs) R a p r a g e. It's a thing. I mean, the the moment you have to start looking for a scissors or a knife or some goddamn sharp object in your home to open a box of quote unquote food, I mean, that's rapper rage in the making.
0: It's real. Love it. I love that phrase. <laughs> yeah, it is real. I mean, I'm sure everybody listening right now can think of an example of when they felt rapper rage, particularly with children's toys, but that's a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, this is so exciting. So I know you are um, you're in the pilot phase still to a degree. And I'm really curious what have been some of the biggest challenges that you're facing from a design perspective or funding or whatever the big challenges may be, because this is such a it's such a simple idea in a certain way. Right. It makes so much sense, but it's also logistically very complicated, as you said, because we're trying to create an alternate system to the one that already exists and that it can be hard to swim upstream like that. So I'd love to hear a little about what are the tough parts? How have you worked through it? And, you know, what are the next steps?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you said it right, Brooking, like, like nothing is easy. I, I mean, folks say that nothing worth doing is easy. In my experience, like, uh, to me, even simple things are not easy. In fact, this is, this is one of my favorites from the greatest designer, maker, polymath of all times, right? You're not he said, uh, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. So, uh, so here we are, right? Um, yes, this is, this is truly complex, uh, but I can tell you a lot of this, it does boil down to political will, It does boil down to wanting to make a commitment to going upstream. I mean, I'm a believer people can change anything they want, and that means everything in the world. Um, These are just not mere words. I I believe in this. And with the type of technology, with the type of reuse acumen that we're we're putting to test here, um, it's going to take... Time, but this system is in the making. This train is already on those tracks. One of the biggest challenges in in all of this is it is funding. Um, I mean, that's that's real, right? My concern um, always is going to remain that. As a business, I just don't ever want us to be undercapitalized. That's one of the biggest reasons infrastructure platform businesses uh, fail. So um, it's a it's a big part of what we are doing right now. In fact, just just recently. We made a top-tier Silicon Valley-based accelerator program um, who's committed to helping us uh, reach uh, deeper fundraising goals. So that's a big part of what we are working on right now. Uh, We're bringing on board um, some of the best angel investors out there to become a part of this vision, to own this vision. Uh, Making Trash History is as collaborative of a process and journey as anything can be. So... um, there are, there are challenges, but within those challenges are, are opportunities that are truly adrenaline pumping. Uh, just, just when I think about it and you're, you're solving wicked problems every day and, and that's, that's just pretty freaking
0: awesome. Hmm. Yeah. You know, that connects with, um, another question I wanted to ask is, you know, doing this kind of, as we've just talked about systems change work can be really hard. And I'm curious, where are the reward moments for you in the work so far? And um, sounds like you are very fired up and the disillusionment is gone, <laughs> if you will. Um, but yeah, any any stories you want to share of of where it's been feeling rewarding? Absolutely.
1: I mean, uh, the dis the disillusionment piece is is real. I-, I I can tell you, I have not felt disillusioned since I started thinking about packaging in this way. Um, that's like back in graduate school. Um, so just the opportunity to and privilege, I I must add, uh, to to be a part of the problem-solving squad, mm-hmm. um, right? This this deep systemic problem of production that has plagued us forever. Um, that is one of the most rewarding things. I mean, I don't sit here and ask questions. Uh, how is this day going to make an impact? How are my tasks right now going to make a big difference like 10 days or 10 years later? It's all connected. It, it makes sense. And just personally to me that matters a lot i don't do anything if if i don't understand the logic the reason the why behind it like i am a person who needs clarity so that's a that's a big thing for me personally um in terms of uh, in terms of like more daily sort of rewarding experiences um i was alluding to this earlier service design is truly at the heart of what we do and and for me to design a better way of being design a better service uh, design a better experience for for members of the public to become a part of this journey and process that is truly rewarding the day there is no rap rage when it comes to food products and kitchen stuff um i mean wow like That's awesome. Right. So um, within all this, just just reimagining and reengineering everyday products and and making them a joy to use um, for for people, for customers. Uh, All of that is like super fun.
0: Mm, Love it. Love it. Um, well, for for our listeners who are on the list of people who say, yeah, I want to be able to be part of this grocery kind of experience and I don't live in D.C., what are um, some ways that folks around the country and around the world might be able to help or you know, follow what you're doing or get involved somehow in, in helping you scale this disruptive innovation really is what it is so that we can do groceries differently all around the world? Yeah. And can we talk just for a moment about the word disruptive, Brooking?
1: Sure. So I have to tell you, I'm not fully a fan of the word disruptive, only because um, we've seen disruptions and disruptors, uh, but they haven't really built back better, uh, no pun intended. Uh, I, 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 just, I just feel it's, like morally incomprehensible to me to go disrupt something but not build it back better than it Originally was so. Um, that's that's just mm-hmm. a thought and idea. I know so much, so much of the conversation in the entrepreneurial circles, in the tech world is like, let's go disrupt this, let's go disrupt that. And I know that's not what you meant at all. Mm-hmm. Um, just just taking a moment to meditate upon this this with you. Um, it's honestly easier to break things, but to but to build them and build them in a way that they can be resilient and they can be good for the future and and for people to come after us. I think that's the real task here.
0: So how about transformative innovation?
1: I like that. I really do.
0: (laughs) This is reminding me when I got to talk to Bill McDonough, who's a very famous designer, he was also really honing in on the language we use. So I think there's something about the design mind and thinking about what does this language mean and what does it imply about our systems? So I appreciate that. So this transformative innovation, if people want to be part of the transformation, yeah. um, what are some ways that, that our listeners could support what you're doing, get involved? Sure. So I have four ideas. Um, let's uh, let's uh, start with
1: the fundamentals here, right? I, I just feel we don't do this enough. So uh, I truly believe that for new things to happen, all things need to come to an end. And what that means is, if members of the public, our friends who are listening, members of the reuse community, really want for like big, radical, positive transformation to happen, of course we stand for something, but we've also got to stand against the powers that are pulling us down. And that means, Saying no to certain things that means probably not going for that five-minute delivery service that probably killed a person just because they were in so much hurry to make it to your doorstep or my doorstep. That means calling out loud when businesses, um, especially like obnoxiously well-funded. Businesses um, go out there and try to wipe out small businesses. This is this is a big deal happening in our in our industry right now. In places like New York City, right. services are literally giving you—they're bribing you. So you're going to get a twenty-five or fifty-dollar card every few days to to want to keep ordering from them, and um, you did not pay a dime. Let me let me remind us about that. Like you just got kept getting free gift cards and in the process of being a part of that experience and, and, and system um, we just made a choice to opt out of something else. So while we stand for reuse, while we stand for a better system, I feel we've got to be more vocal uh, against things uh, that just happen to be the status quo. That's one. Um,
0: Mm
1: In the same vein, um, I, I would say uh, just being unapologetic and calling out phonies. Uh, I mean, the day a delivery service, the day a zero waste delivery service uh, is bringing you, quote unquote, flushable wipes and and single use diaper pads and um, single use water bottles uh, that's not a zero waste delivery service we've got to call it out so um th- that's that's one aspect of advocacy and activism that can truly help advance the transformation um and adoption of systems new systems like like spring and more um in in terms of uh, like just getting on board just 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 trying to help um there are some beautiful guides by activists, and um, I I miss the names. Probably we can we can share them in the in the link where you can patronize certain types of bulk stores. Uh, we we internally have a little guide uh, for buying groceries without uh, without creating any waste, without killing the earth. Um, you you can look at that. I have to tell you, it's going to test your patience, but uh, it's, a, it's a process, right? So. It, inspired um you can check that out yeah we'll we'll put those links in the notes awesome awesome um uh, the two other pieces here uh at spring literally right now we're building our team so um we're going to put out some of this stuff uh, very soon but if 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 this speaks to you if you want to be a part of the process and journey um, please feel free to reach out to me or we're very much in the process of, of team building and, and bringing on board values-aligned individuals who are who are ready to roll up their sleeves and, and get the job done. Um, the fourth piece, and, and this speaks to a little bit about my point about fundraising earlier. I mean, this type of work, it just needs radical abundance of money. Like that's, it's every bit of it is existential. So, uh, Right. If, if if you have any any thoughts, ideas, probably you know folks uh, who who can who can come on board as strategic financiers, strategic investors. I, I would love to have that conversation. Um, those are four ways uh, that that come to mind. Um, would you add anything there, Brookin? Did I miss anything?
0: I feel like you covered some powerful bases there in terms of how to take the actions in your own everyday lives, what to say yes to, what to say no to and how to support a uh, good transformative efforts like this. So, uh, your website is www.eatspring.org, correct? That's right.
1: And and you'll soon see a, a bunch of cool stuff on there as well. And my email in the meanwhile is freedom at eatspring.org.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. And this has been such an inspiring conversation, Freedom, and I'm I'm really grateful for the chance to speak with you. I love the train tracks metaphor, and that you, this is is such visionary infrastructure work that you're doing with Spring. And um, I know you've done some pilot work along the way. Um, you had a. Pilot innovation that Design by Freedom put together called Get Groceries, where you were doing a lot of your market research, if you will, and testing of some of the ideas that are foundational now in spring. And it also feels such an appropriate name. Not only is it spring right now, but the sense of, you know, the freshness and the new growth. I mean, we're just coming out of winter and that. Feeling of possibility and potential, and you don't know exactly what the bloom is going to look like yet, but you know it's going to be beautiful and natural. And I'm feeling that sense of inspiration in talking to you and about this project, and really hope that we get to have a conversation in whatever it is, two, three, five, ten years, even where everybody in the country knows what spring is and is using it to get their groceries. And we don't have to feel the guilt and fill the waste bin when we come home from the grocery store anymore. So thank you again so much for the work that you're doing. Um, I'm so glad kind of bringing it back to the women's history theme as well, that your parents, thank you to your parents for their, um, their boldness and path-breaking choices and how they raised you as a woman, as a young girl in a time where not a lot of other young girls would have gotten such opportunities to grow up to do the kind of world-changing work that you're doing. So I think this is such a beautiful story to celebrate Women's History Month and also honor um, all the pioneers in the reuse movement. So thank you so, so much for joining us.
1: It was a pleasure, Brooky. It truly was. And uh, uh, if I, if I may, um, you, you said something super interesting there. Um, you said instead of feeling guilt, uh, we should be feeling something else. I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of that. Uh, I, I'd say, don't feel the guilt, feel love. Uh, we live in a time where peace is such a tenuous tenuous thing and uh if i had one last thing to say to all the friends and colleagues and and believers and in, in the reuse movement who are who are here today i would say if we want world peace we've got to love our family our neighbors our communities that's where that's where the change is going to happen so so yeah just uh, no guilt just
0: love and that's our show If you like what you're hearing, help spread the word. Subscribe to the Indisposable Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Add a review, talk us up. Nobody spreads a message like you. The Indisposable Podcast is brought to you by Upstream, sparking innovative solutions to plastic pollution, envisioning a world without it, and empowering businesses, communities, and individuals to imagine and co-create this future with us. You can find resources mentioned on today's episode as well as learn more about Upstream's work at www.upstreamsolutions.org. Follow us on social and join the movement. There's a better way than throwaway.